The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. The only NFL podcast where one of the hosts refuses to go to minicamp. Because he's not a toy dog. He weighs 20 pounds. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am joined by longtime friend of the program, the host of the athletic football show, Robert Mays. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be back. This is going to be fun. I'm I'm really excited for this premise. Um, you know, this time of year, it, it can be a little bit of a slog sometimes. <laughs> but um, I, 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 I've actually, um, I've done this before, but I kind of narrowed the parameters a little bit or played with them to have some conversations that I wanted to have, which is basically this. We're doing X factors. We're doing the NFC. But here's what I told Robert. We are choosing on each team a player, so not a coach, not a quarterback, who we think could determine the success of the season for that team. And um, I couch that like very specifically because I think different for different teams, success means different things, especially in the NFC, by the way. Um, and I think that's important, right? Because, um, you know, like if, you know, let's say you're a Rams fan. Well, yes, you're more likely to have more wins if Matthew Stafford plays the entire season is healthy. But I don't think that's exactly what you're looking for this season. So, um, yeah. So it's different things. We, we we can talk about that for each of these teams. Um, but I'm I'm really excited. I, I, some of them I had trouble with, and I I'm like legitimately excited to see which names you chose for some of these teams. That's how I feel about you with some of the teams. For some <laughs> of them, it was really hard to pick a player because I think some of the X factors and the things we don't know are probably coaches. And for some of them, they're definitely quarterbacks. So a lot of them, lot of them were <laughs> harder for different reasons. Some of the teams that you mentioned that you were struggling with, I put in right away. And then there were other teams where I was like, I have absolutely no idea because I don't know what success is for these teams. There are also some teams where the things that are different are coaches or quarterbacks. And I think that's why it's hard to land on one. Like, for example, the Bucks, right? Like the Bucks have mostly the same players. So it's like, who's an X factor for the Bucks this year? Because when I think X factor, I think it's a guy that has a somewhat wide range of outcomes. Like if he's yes. different than he was in the past, their outcomes will be different than they were in the past. But for some of these teams, like Philly is another good example. They have all the same players. So the X factor is probably Sean Desai, but you took that off the ta- or Brian Johnson or whoever, but you took that off yeah. the table for me. So I had to pick a player that I don't necessarily feel strongly about. And it's almost always, it's not the best player because I don't consider the best, best players to be variable. If that makes sense. That's like absolutely it was, right. Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, Aaron Donald being an example, or I mentioned Stafford, but like, um, yeah, like, yes, if Justin Jefferson breaks NFL records, <laughs> That probably means that the Vikings offense is really good. But I don't, that's not the, I think, I don't consider him to be an X factor. I consider him to be most important player, which is a different thing. Totally. Um, okay, good. We're on the same page. I feel good about this. Um, the Bucks, by the way, fascinating team to, to decide what success means. So, but we're not going to start with the NFC South. And of course, by the way, I'm obviously doing the AFC next week, guys. Um, this week we're doing the NFC. Because I knew in my heart of hearts it would take way too long to do both conferences. <laughs> Another decision I feel good about because I 
Robert, am like the, well, not really the current Andy Reid, the old Andy Reid of clock management where I constantly miss time how much, how long these things will take. And it, yeah, 32 teams never ends well for me. One of the the NFC bits of uh, advice I got very early in my career from my old boss, Bill Simmons, he said to me very simply once, he said, 32 of anything is a lot. And I I have taken that with me over the last decade of my football coverage plans. Yes, we are not Baskin Robbins here. Ah, that's 31. Okay, we're uh, we're gonna start with the NFC North. And uh, we're gonna start start, So I appreciate that. Okay, good. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, Robert is a Bears fan. Um, so let's start here and I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, which player did you pick for the Chicago Bears? I picked Darnell Wright. Presume starting right tackle, picked him in the top 10. And I tried to pick a guy that I think exemplified a larger idea about all of these teams. And with Darnell Wright, I think it was the same urgency that drove them to pick him with a ninth overall pick. He kind of feels like the last piece of the offense where you have 10 potentially competent starters around Justin Fields. So if you drop Darnell right in and he's a plus right tackle right away and the rest of the offensive line kind of falls into place, you know, you could put Cody Whitehair here potentially. If the left, if the line from left to right is Braxton Jones at left tackle, Tevin Jenkins at left guard, Cody Whitehair at center, Nate Davis at right guard and a plus Darnell right at right tackle. The best version of that line is miles better than what they had last year. Yeah. So if he can come in and there's a physicality in the run game, if he can be a plus player in pass protection, then the line I think has a chance to be solid to if not pretty good. And one of the, the reason I didn't pick any of the receivers is that I think I kind of know what they are. Like I think I kind of know what DJ Moore is. I think I kind of know what Chase Claypool is, but I don't like the answer to that. But and I think the offense is just so much more important than the defense. So because he's a rookie, because we haven't seen him, because it feels like there's a lot of different outcomes for him on the table, that's why I landed with Darnell Wright. The, the Bears are a good example of um, how success can be kind of isolated, if that makes sense, because I agreed with you. I, it, To me, it is all about the defense this year. Frankly, I don't expect the defense, probably the offense. Yeah. I don't expect the defense to be very good, and I don't think it matters. The Bears front office clearly went into this season saying, we're going to see what we've got in Justin Fields. We are going to build out this offense. I personally liked that strategy. That, that And to me, if, if you're a Bears fan, the Justin Fields playing well, that's success. Not making the playoffs. Doesn't matter if you make the playoffs. Doesn't matter how complete this team looks. Success is saying we've got our quarterback and we've proved it with the pieces around him. So, um, yeah, I think... That it, it, that's a that's a really good pick for Chicago. I personally appreciated the Darnell Wright pick in the draft, not just because I think he's a good player, but before the draft, I remember texting you and asking who the hell is starting on the Bears' offensive line and where, and I'm very confused. And in picking Wright, they really clarified it. They're yeah. like, all right, we are good with Braxton Jones. We are good with these guys on the interior. You know, because I think um, a lot of folks thought they might take Peter Skaronsky, and that would have raised questions like, where does he play? What position? Whose spot is he taking? We know that Darno Wright is a right tackle. He's a good right tackle, or he's been a good one in college. If he is a good one at the NFL level, I agree. That would um, equate to success, I think, because of what it would do for the offense. Um, so that's a really good pick. I still went with a receiver. I, I, I went with more. I think he's good. And I think, to your point, it's probably – I am a little bit violating my, like, eh, a good player is going to be good. But for me – like I view him as a first round draft pick for this team sure. because of what they did in the trade. And I think that he has shown f- like 
range uh, thus far in his career where at times he looks like a top 15, 20 wide receiver. And at times I think he's fallen below that mark. I think if he falls above that mark this year, not only does it mean Justin Fields is who we want him to be, but it also means, hey, that tr that trade was really good. Like, so organizationally, it would be a huge success for them if he plays really well. DJ Moore would have been a good pick for this reason. I think that DJ Moore's success and production this year is almost 100% going to be a reflection of how good yeah. Justin Fields is. So if you pick DJ Moore here, you're kind of picking the quarterback. So it's a good way to backdoor into the quarterback <laughs> being the X factor for the Bears. And I appreciate that. Yeah. The, the quarterback is really the answer for a lot of these teams, to you, by the way. So it, there, there's um, certain ways to kind of get at that. Um, not the case for the Minnesota Vikings, who I want to do next. I'll go first. Um, so for me... Um, I decided to go defense here and <laughs> I don't know about this. I went with Byron Murphy. Um, yeah. So, okay. I think because I think the offense is going to be fine. Like I, I really, yeah. I'm not, I talked about it last week. I was, I, you know, the Addison pick, but in picking Addison, they decided not to take a cornerback. Um, and the current group right now, uh, the depth chart is Byron Murphy, Jr. Andrew Booth, Jr. Who, is in his second year and didn't play last year much. Caleb Evans, who's also in his second year, and Mikai Blackman, who's a rookie. I don't think I'm leaving anyone out. Duke Shelley's gone. Peterson's gone. Shannon Sullivan is gone. Dantzler's gone. That is an incredibly young group of cornerbacks. And while I think, um, you know, I can definitely imagine the Marcus Davenport, Daniel Hunter pairing working. Linebacker still a question mark. Um, they need Murphy to be at least average. Uh, this is a defense that you know I railed about to no end last year. They go out, they get Brian Flores. I don't understand this cornerback room in the context of <laughs> what we've seen from Brian Flores defenses. Um, but I, to me, if he is not at least average, Robert. I have a really hard time seeing this team getting back into the playoffs. It's very funny that you picked Byron Murphy because I also picked a cornerback, but I picked Andrew Booth. And yeah, sure. <laughs> so the Vikings are trying to live these two parallel timelines where they're competitive, but also stockpiling these picks in the first couple of years under Quasi Adolfo Mensa and starting to build an underlying level of talent. So they trade back in the first round of the 2022 draft. They go from the 11th pick, I want to say, where was Jamison Williams picked? In the top 12. It was 11 or 12. I can't remember yeah, exactly where. I think it was 11. And they move back and they get those two picks in the 30s. And they pick Andrew Booth and Lewis Seen. And now they're trying to stockpile that kind of connective tissue of the roster with these younger players that didn't really exist at, for the most part because the Vikings whiffed on so many guys at cornerback over the last yeah. five years. So you don't really have that set of young talent. So you have these win now kind of stopgap options in a Marcus Davenport and a Byron Murphy. And then you have these few young players that this regime has drafted. So you picked this win now stopgap options being good in order for them to win some games. I picked kind of the long-term outlook option at corner because I think it's most important to determine what the long-term health of this roster and this version of the organization is. And I think Andrew Booth kind of embodies that a little bit or Lewis Seen, well, whichever one you want to pick. I'll say this about Booth, too. Um, 
from what I remember watching him at Clemson, I think he actually makes more sense mm -hmm. in a Brian Flores defense than Byron Murphy Jr. So I guess it, this would be a good moment to talk about like the, the defense and, and the change. I mean, the expectation uh, would is that they're going to play way more press man coverage and be more aggressive and blitz more. Murphy Jr., I've, I personally think of as a more zone corner um, in Arizona, probably had his most success playing in the slot. Mm -hmm. it's, I think, you know, at the end, a lot of his usage was kind of born out of desperation there as time went on. Um, so I think Booth Jr., who I remember from college as, you know, having a more of a physical pre 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 uh, presence, um, and a little bit stickier and, and, and pretty athletic. The upside is there for him. Just haven't seen it. Uh, but you're absolutely, they need to hit on one of these players. And I think that's sort of for either, by the way, the short term or the long term, like one of these guys has to be good. And every single one of them is a giant question mark to me. I think this goes back to your original question of what is success for these teams. And I truly don't know how I would, frame that for the 2023 yeah. Vikings like do they need to make the playoffs for it to be success as in the competitive rebuild quote unquote that they were trying to execute are we closer to the rebuild side of it now that we're a year in and Kirk Cousins may be in his last season there like I just don't really know what to make of them and that's why I think it's hard to land on the right guy here they're a tricky team because to your point about the the two-track thing I think um the new administration, the team that they inherited, it was very complex. It wasn't like a clean break situation, no. but it was also, we don't want to continue on the same path. We've got this aging roster and this quarterback that we don't all like feel super great about. And they have really tried to thread the needle thus far. Um, and this year I think will be the epitome of that. But yeah, if I, I, if either of those players you, you and I mentioned is good, I, I would have a lot more confidence in I mean, all the defense has to be is like not the worst in the NFL. So, okay, uh, let's do Detroit. I don't, th I think we're going to have different, I, I don't think you're going to pick the same player as me. I kind of agonized over this one. Um, you go first though. I had Jamison Williams. I know okay. he's going to miss the six games, but they yeah. make a big trade up for Jamison Williams last year. And it's with this idea of, well, we're not going to be that competitive this year. You know, even if we're a little bit better than people expect, we're not going to be a contender in 2022. We can give him a quasi redshirt year, but when we're really ready to compete and rev things up next season, he's going to be a huge part of what we do. We made, we traded a lot of assets to go out and get this guy. Well, now you need to see phase two of that plan through, even if he's going to miss the first six games. And especially because you didn't do much at your receiving spots this offseason. Nope. They went out and got Sam Laporta. That's the bet they made at their pass catching spots. And then whatever, however you want to qualify Jameer Gibbs within that offense. But I think that is a comment on how important Jamison Williams is going to be to the next step of this passing game. You think investment, role, all of those things kind of converging together. That's why I think he may be the most important piece on their offense. It's not a quarterback. I think that's a good pick. It's one I thought about. It was my second choice because... When we think about the Lions, you, 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 like it's it's important. His success is important not only because of the draft capital invested, but like it's hard for me to imagine a world in which the Lions win a playoff game without Jameson Williams totally. being a deep threat. Which is, I think, what their goal is this season. Like they want to win the division, and, and I think success would be winning a playoff game. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I will say this about the wide receiver group, which is currently Amon Ross St. Brown, Marvin Jones, and Josh Reynolds. Trade for DeAndre, y'all. Come on. I've been saying it for it. a while. I, it. it's, my, it's my favorite <laughs> landing spot. I, I brought this up to a head coach in the NFC recently. And really? I, I sent it to him and he was just like, he like was quiet for a second. He's like, yeah, it's pretty good. Because yeah, it, make, it makes yeah. so much sense, not only with their timeline and some resources that they have, some financial flexibility, his skill set is exactly what they Perfect. need. They Perfect. do not have that big ball winning outside the numbers X yeah. receiver. Like you put DeAndre Hopkins with Amon Ross St. Brown, Jamison Williams, and Sam Laporta with that offensive line on Jameer Gibbs. Now we're seriously cooking. Now you can justify taking a running back with a 12th overall pick because you used a 2024 second to go get your guy who's going to be your quote unquote number one receiver. So I went with the running back that they took with the 12th overall pick. <laughs> um, for, um, I think actually kind of it's similar logic, draft capital being one of the, the things that I think he has to look good. But because they don't have Williams for those first six games, and look, it's the NFC, so I think I'm, I might be overemphasizing the importance of the first six games. If they were like in the AFC and you want to be in the playoffs, you can't lose ground, right? Whereas mm-hmm. the, the NFC, you probably lose the ground. You'll probably be a, still competitive. But I do think, you know, I was just looking at this, that group of skill players we just described, and I just kept thinking, where's the juice here? There's just not juice and to me like it as i was closing my eyes and thinking okay how is this offense going to look good in the first six games it's if ben johnson who i think is a very good play caller finds ways to turn jameer gibbs into an absolute weapon which is totally plausible right yeah um so i kind of was thinking like okay you know he to me is the best answer for like who can give you that actually that keeps the offense like kind of uh potentially explosive too, by the way, um, and gives them some juice in Williams' absence. But um, yeah, I think um, Williams is probably more important though when I think about like the end of the season and... The ceiling, I think. I, I think he really plays into that. But if yeah. this idea of, well, what are they going to be without Jameson Williams? Like how good could they be as a passing game? They finished fifth at offensive DVOA last year. He didn't play for most of the season. Yeah. So Chark was missing here and there too. We've yeah. seen them do it, but my question about this team is, and it's one of the worries that I had about how they approach the draft. It's like, I don't want them to look at last year and say, all right, if we drop in one or two more pieces on onto what we were last year, what can we be? Because that's never how trajectory or development with NFL teams work. It's never linear like that. It's never clean like that. So I think you have to try to stay ahead of it a little bit more than with that type of thinking. And I think Jamison Williams allows them to do that, right? He's the other piece that they didn't have for most of last season that they're dropping into this thing. And even if it's going to be 11, 12 games of him, I still think that might be enough to take them to the next level if he goes there, if he's that sort of player. And that's why that question looms so large. The other guy I had was Emmanuel Mosley. It was like if I was going yeah. to pick another one just because they didn't draft a corner. Like, Secret issue for them. Yeah. If he can Secret stay healthy, issue. then uh, and he's there with Cam Sutton and they have CJ Gardner-Johnson and Brian Branches in the mix there. They got a lot of flexible pieces on the back end, but outside corner, I think, becomes a quicker problem than they'd like if mostly doesn't stay healthy. So he was kind of my secondary answer. Yeah, I agree. It's not a deep group right now. I, I loved everything they did in terms of the free agent acquisitions. But when you st- sat back and you look at the depth chart, you suddenly realize how thin that particular 
group is. Um, so yeah, it, it, when he's been healthy, I think he's a good player uh, and he makes a lot of sense for them, but he has, you know, not, he has missed a lot of games. I okay. like Jerry yeah. Jacobs, but we get very quickly. Oh, we yeah, get back yeah. to Jerry Jacobs life. If Emmanuel Mosley gets hurt. And I think that's what they were trying to avoid with how they approach the off season. So for the Packers, you can kind of copy paste what I said for the bears in a way. Cause I'm kind of backdooring the quarterback here, but for me, it's Christian Watson. Um, so success is about the offense. I think the Packers are kind of in a, in a fun spot where, um, you know, the defense, I've talked about this, you know, they, they have more to prove in a way, but I don't think there's pressure on this team to be in a post, a playoff team right now. They, you know, your view of them, it's pretty varied actually. But to me, the, the success for the Packers this season is if Jordan Love looks promising. And if Christian Watson succeeds, that probably means that Jordan Love is playing well. But I'm also picked Christian Watson because what he showed last year was pretty tantalizing mm -hmm. uh, at the end of last season. So ESPN has these uh, uh, 538, our analytics team, they have these wide receiver rankings. And I, I've been meaning to use them more because they're really good. They synthesize it's wide receiver score, but it's based on open score. They're using tracking to basically, you know, look at things like separation where the defenders are, that kind of thing. Catch score yards after the catch. Christian Watson ranked 21st amongst receivers last season. Granted just 66 targets, but fifth in yards after the catch uh, amongst receivers, 12th in yards route run, small sample size flashing, but that's why to me, he's, really important because if he truly can be the number one wide receiver in this offense, I think as a Packers fan, you feel pretty good, especially after a draft where obviously they passed, I mean, they took Jane Reed later, but um, they focus on tight end rather than wide receiver. It's probably the right answer. I, I went with Eric Stokes because yeah. I, and, and th this is just a blind spot that I have. I'm obsessed with why the Packers defense isn't better. Like they have all of these guys, they have all of these first round picks and Stokes was really good as a rookie, right? Like super promising. It was a guy that came in as like, man, if that's your second corner, you're in really good shape. He gets hurt halfway through last season. So in my mind, him, guys like Quay Walker, like I could have picked a couple of different ones, but I think Stokes yeah. because of what he showed as a rookie, like this ideal of what the Packers defense can be, I think a guy like him being the best version of himself brings us closer to that idea. And so that's why I picked him, but you're right. I mean, the offense and Jordan Lover were most important, but I just can't get out of my head that the Packers defense should be better. Oh. And he's the type of guy who could get them closer to that. The Packers defense is probably one of the most frustrating units in the entire NFL to me. Yeah. I So I had um, Deontay Lee, who, who's on Robert's pod, a lot came on last year and we ranked defenses for 2023 uh, or 2022 going to 2023. And um, this is like one of my worst takes, old, coldest takes. I think I had the Packers defense projected to be like second. I think we both did actually. I'll go back because I'm going to do the pod again. But the rest of the defense, the list is good. But we just were so wildly over optimistic about the Packers defense. And I do this every year, every year in this like the last few years because they're good on paper and they have flashes of good. And the players individually I've seen be good at times. And yet they just suck. <laughs> I will say this. Uh, they did play better at the end of the season. And I think it kind of 
flew under the radar a little bit, uh, how much they improved in that. And I think it's why Joe Barry is still the defensive coordinator of the Packers, coupled with probably his relationship with Mel Floor. Um, speaking of guys in the hot seat. But Stokes is, 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 yeah, you could name like three or four guys in that unit who just could be so much better than they are. And if they are better, the defense has the capability to be a top 10 unit. Yeah, they were, just don't play like it. They finished ninth in passing defense DVOA last season. I mean, their pass defense, when it's at its best, is pretty good. They just can't stop anybody on the ground. But my thought is, if that gets to like one or two, like if they're the best pass defense in football with an average offense, it's probably a playoff team in the NFC. Like they can yeah. absolutely outperform expectations. But in terms of long-term health and what they're going to be, the quarterback is the most important thing. So I think picking Christian Watson as like a conduit for Jordan Love in this scenario is probably a good move. All right, let's do the NFC West next. Mixing up these divisions. Um, I feel like we're going to have the same answer for the Cardinals. Let's do the Cardinals first. Um, you Okay, I went first last time. You go first. Who do you have? It's Paris Johnson. Nothing else yes, matters. It's <laughs> so easy, yeah. If he, in my mind, he might as well be the only player on the team. <laughs> it, him being Wait, BJ okay. Ojolari and like this, this draft class is all that matters. So is he playing guard? I think he probably will play guard. Yeah. Okay. Well, and how do you? I don't know. That's I saw him penciled in at guard on their depth chart. Yeah. And I, I'm curious why they would do that, right? Like because I think he played right guard at Ohio State his second to last year there. And the reason I know that is because I was thinking about whether or not he play right tackle for the Bears and if he'd been a right side <laughs> player before. So I think he's done that. But right now I think he might be penciled in to play left guard for the Cardinals. And so that is because the Cardinals have a left tackle who's decent in DJ Humphreys. My second question for you, Robert, is why hasn't there been any smoke around a DJ Humphreys trade? Um, we're selling off the Cardinals for parts. I pulled up the contract. It's totally tradable. It's a very There's good a question. There's a lot of teams that could use a left tackle. I haven't heard that mentioned. So that that would be my question to you. Are there a lot of teams that need a left tackle? Hmm... The Jets. <laughs> uh, the Jets are the only team where I would say they could use a starting higher level left tackle yeah. today because a lot of the other teams around the league that needed left tackles made big splash moves That's to go cool. get one like the Steelers did, or they have acquired one over the last couple of years. Like there aren't that many teams around the league that have a huge glaring hole at left tackle. That's a good point. And I, that was surprising to me when I looked through it. Uh, this offseason a little bit earlier because I was thinking about who might sign. I think it was Orlando Brown. It was like, who might sign Orlando yeah. Brown? And even that was a team that had a starting left tackle that moved their starting left tackle to the right side to sign Orlando Brown. There just weren't that many obvious teams. So I think a market for him might be a little bit cooler than it might seem considering the position he plays. Well, he, he's under contract for a few years, Humphreys. So this, they could also trade him next season they could trade him mid-season but to go back to the original point paris johnson jr is the future of this team they trade they, they invested a lot in him um and he is like the foundational piece right now of this rebuild so uh yeah you wanted to play well that's what success is success is not winning games it's the guy you spent a lot of draft capital on who's going to protect either kyler murray or caleb williams playing playing well so that would be my argument for why he stays because even if we're selling yes even if we're selling off cardinals for parts right now we may be a year away from us having a conversation on may 1st of oh man the cardinals have enough around caleb williams to really give him a chance to succeed and hanging on to a guy like 
DJ Humphreys as part of that consideration, I think could be important. It's the same reason why I thought trading Laramie Tunsil would have been crazy for the the Texans knowing they were going to draft a quarterback because yeah. you want that guy to be in a good spot. It's a little bit different when it's DeAndre Hopkins and he's making $53 million, excuse me, $57 million against the cap combined over the next couple of years. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, it is fascinating organizationally to think about like the best way to approach a rebuild, the players you want to keep, the players you want to give away, the importance of those players. And I think your point about um, – the offensive line makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it, it's it's a name to keep your eye on, though. That's all I'll say. Keep your eye on. I'd call. On <laughs> yeah, come on, Joe Douglas. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Maybe they, I mean, that's one where I think, too, all of their various tackle options are kind of wait and see mode. So they're probably going to get a lot more information on them as they get closer to the season and as it begins. Um, okay. So I, I think we have different ones for the Niners. And I think I know what you're, I, I feel like I can guess what yours is. Oh, I, I almost promise one. you can't. <laughs> no, I think I can. I, mm, I bet I can. Okay. I'm going to guess yours and then say what mine was. Okay. Did you pick Colton McKivitz? No, I did not pick Colton McKivitz. Oh, okay. He was my Too second choice. <laughs> and so I'll, okay. I'll walk you through my thinking. I, okay. I picked Isaiah Oliver. Weird, oh, come on. Weirdly enough. <laughs> Get the f- out of here. Because you look at everything else on the defense. Yeah. Okay. Right. We saw Diamondor Lenore start for them. For most of last season, like they were an elite defense with him being a starting outside corner. So we kind of know what he is within the fabric of who they are. Javarius Ward, same kind of deal. We shot t- saw Tayshawn Gibson play for them last year. The defensive line is the same group, just with Javon Hargrave dropped in there. So there aren't that many guys that, oh, there's a wide range of outcomes here on defense. I'm worried about it. The reason I didn't pick Colton McKivitz is we have seen this offense be successful with whoever on the offensive line. Cool guys out, Daniel Brunskill. Like it, it's so but many. We've seen the defense be successful with like the most rando quarterback. So that's the problem here is the quarterback is the answer to this one or so Steve Wilkes or it's Steve back- Wilkes. That's, that's the other one. I'm I, I at cornerbacks because the pass rush is so crazy. It seems like they've been able to get by with limited cornerback play for a while, yes. you know? Um, I backdoor the quarterback again. I promise this is, I won't keep doing this, but I, and this is a little bit lame, but I genuinely believe it's George Kittle and I feel comfortable picking him because health, because it's, it's, he's not one of those good players where I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, said and forget this it. This feels like, like a cheap answer. It's a cheap answer, but it's the right answer. Cause if he, I, I, I genuinely believe if it's January and George Kittle is playing and he's healthy, this offense and I'm assuming it'll be helmed by Brock Purdy, which of course, you know, can be a juggernaut. Um, I, I, it, the reason I picked him was Robert too. Like I was thinking back to the Brock Purdy games, mm-hmm. um, you know, he played a few and it's very apparent to me that um, he leans on Kittle, you know, he uh, actually pulled this cause I was curious. So he had a QBR of 97 <laughs> targeting George Kittle, which is, Pretty silly. That Washington that game sticks out. Yes, the Washington game. Yeah. And I think Brock Purdy, like the um, combination of willingness to throw over the middle of the field, but when he extends, I think Kittle is really good at working back to him. If, you know, this offense is what we saw at the end of last season, it will be because George Kittle is healthy. And I think George Kittle is a guy like, you know, he's getting up in the years. Um, we can't, I don't think we can guarantee, I don't think we can like, book it that he's going to be dominant 
at the end of the season the way we would have hoped in the past. Um, so I, I, for me, it's kind of like, okay, if this team is going to get to the Super Bowl, which is what success looks like for them, get early, you know, the NFC Championship or whatever, he has to be there and he has to be producing at a high level. It's it's like, which is risky always with the Niners offense because it feels like you can just pull out anyone and it seems fine. I think he's the one guy of all of their monsters where I think if you pulled him out, you could create some real issues with the offense. I think that's fair. I in my mind, it was just he was he cleared the too good bar. You know, like George yeah. Kittle's like an all pro player. And that's what made the Niners tough. Like, again, if I if I were answering this and we could include coaches, to me, the biggest X factor for the Niners is how good is Steve Wilkes as a defensive coordinator after we've lost to Miko Ryans. And that, so I picked a defensive player that we haven't seen dropped in there before. And because I just felt like that was the easiest answer. But this is one of the hardest teams to come up with a compelling guy on either side of the ball because we've just seen them be successful no matter who they've managed to plug in there. Like no one player for the Niners can tip the scales the way it can for other teams, just because of how ruthlessly efficient those machines have been. The um, annoying answer should have been like Sam Darnold, because at some point in the playoffs, he's going to play and there'll probably be the difference between going to the Super Bowl and that. I have no interest in rooting for guys to get hurt. I want everyone to be healthy. I want everyone to thrive and just live their best lives. You just want to see it. You but just I, ju- see it. I do. I do <laughs> want to see it as a football, as someone who loves football on like a scientific level, I, as a football experiment, I want to see Sam Darnold play for Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. It really is the, the football. We both love cooking shows equivalent of chopped. Yeah. Like just put the weirdest yep. in his basket and let him cook. Right. Like throw in the, um, you know, the gummy worms, cucumbers, eggs, and tell him to make a dessert and let's see if he can do it. How bummed were you when Charbel lost on Top Chef? It's like two weeks ago. I'm not spoiling uh, anything. Yeah, you're not it, was, it, was a, it was a heartbreaking moment. Brutal. I, Brutal. I just feel like we haven't heard the last of him. He's going to be back in some way. He's just too good. I, I don't follow Last Chance Kitchen. I stay away from it. So I, it's really funny that I don't. I also don't watch it. It's hard to watch. My my fiance. I was talking to my fiance about it when we watched this week's, and she's like, "You love Top Chef more than almost anything in your life. If you don't watch Last Chance Kitchen, who oh. watches Last Chance Kitchen? It's like you got to download point. an app. It's you know, it's for me. It's like, oh god, another app. Too far. Too far. I, I feel and the it's same also way. Hard to find the winners on the internet. Okay. Um. <laughs> Who do you have for the Seahawks? I want to, I want you to go first for the Seahawks specifically. Jones. That's what I did too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's by far the best pass rusher on their roster. Uh, so Seahawks offense, I'm assuming he's going to be good. Yeah. Um, they're probably, you could probably actually pick certain players on the offensive line, Agreed. I think, which was an uh, underrated issue for them down the stretch. But to me, the biggest th- problem with this team, and this is obvious, is that they didn't address the pass rush. They addressed everything else. Uh, this offseason, well, not everything. They didn't get a center, really. Well, they drafted. Anyways, whatever. Point is, it's the pass rush. Uh, so, Uchenna Nwosu was actually, I thought, really good for them, mm-hmm. but he's not a number one. Um, so, you're counting on either him, Daryl Taylor, Boya Mafe, who they drafted last year, who looked okay. Derek Hall, who they drafted this year in the second round. Um, to me, I think... What's far more likely to happen is Draymond Jones, who I think is a good player, who they invested a lot of money in, steps up and gives them more uh, the interior pass rush that they've been lacking. They were certainly lacking last season, and that that sort of amplifies the other players, particularly like Nosu, for example, who you know is kind of on his own out there a lot. 
Um, Draymond Jones ranked sixth amongst defensive tackles in pass rush win last season. It's seven sacks, which would have been third on the team. Uh, so if he can be a star, and I think he actually has that potential, um, then I feel like this pass rush unit can at least be average instead of the bottom of the NFL. Their pass rush is probably the most important unit they had to improve heading into last season for them to take a step forward. And he is by far the biggest investment that they made. If they had picked Tyree Wilson, you know, with the fifth pick, maybe I'd feel different about putting Draymond Jones in here, but they didn't. So what they're putting on him and the weight he has to carry to lift that entire group, that's why he's the answer to me. Like, I think there are so many good players in the secondary outside of Devin Witherspoon that that group is probably going to be okay even without him. I have high hopes. I think he can be really, really good. And I'm not surprised that they thought they needed to upgrade that other corner spot. But I just think that the role that Draymond Jones is being asked to play within that yeah. position group, that's why he's the answer to me. 100%. Okay, say your Rams answer on three. One, two, three. Steve Avila. Joe Nope. <laughs> okay, same thing. <laughs> I thought about Nopeum too. But t- t- talk about why it's Nopeum. I, I think Nopeum's a good answer. He was my I think either of them. Steve Avila would have yeah. been my second answer. Yeah. And and the reason, I think that the reason I picked Joe Nopeum is because if they're trying to thread this needle where they can get good again fairly quickly, Joe Nopeum is one of those guys that would help them bridge that gap. They invested in him. like They gave him a starting level contract heading into last year. At part of their plan to kind of nimbly jump from the model that won them the Super Bowl to this next phase of being competitive, Joe Nopum was one of the most important pieces in that. They restructured his contract. I mean, they borrowed $9 million from that deal to push it into next year. Like, If he can develop into an, a, an average to slightly above average left tackle, I think that gets them back to relevance. He's a, a huge piece in getting them back to relevance faster than it might seem. That's, my, that's why. It's a great answer because when you look at this depth chart, which is a ride. Um, so much green the- on our lads. So <laughs> much green. So many rookies. It's insane. He, he's one of the very few players outside of the, the big three, you know, Cobb, Stafford, and Donald, who has played well mm-hmm. in the past. Um, there, you know, he, last year, I forget when he got here, it was very pretty early in the season. But, you know, when he spent the that year filling in for Whitworth, and, I mean, he, he has, like, a fair amount of experience, and he has given them above average left. This is why they paid him. Mm-hmm. Like, he has shown that he can be um, a, a decent left tackle, there's no world in which this offense looks competent unless he's decent, which is why it's a good answer. Um, the, the tricky thing with the Rams, of course, is like, I, like as you articulated, success is really hard to uh, define, I think, for this team because um, we know they're not going to obviously be a – They it would be very shocking if they're a playoff team. But because they have that big three, none of whom are really tradable – I talked about this last week – it's not Arizona. So it's kind of an, an interesting position. That's I why it didn't Avila. go with Steve Avila. That, that, that's yeah. exactly why it didn't. Because for them, I don't know if 2024, 2025 are so much more important than the short term that I could pick the second round rookie as the most important piece. So that's why I didn't go with that. But I understand why you would. Well, it's. I think I wouldn't have picked him if I felt like they had other cards who could play. <laughs> um, but they actually... 
similar to the notebook case, I think he also actually has to be functional for this offense to to be decent, uh, for the run game to be anything close to what it was, you know, years ago. And I mean, just for as far as the draft stuff goes, they picked him at 36. That's the highest they've picked a player since Jared Goff. <laughs> they he needs to be good. Oh, so man. I you know, I think you could do either of those players. Both, they traded uh, down from a first round, correct? Didn't isn't the Caleb McGarry pick didn't that oh, originally belong I, to the Rams? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah. yeah. I can't remember. Was that when they took Atwell or I can't remember which draft that was. I think it was I think it was longer ago than that. I think it no, would have been the 2018 memorable. draft, right? 18, 19, oh, 20, 20, Yeah, 20, right. Or maybe nine, maybe yeah. I think it was it might have been the 19 draft because I thought I think they traded down because that was the year that the Falcons had two first round mm-hmm. picks and they picked two offensive linemen in the first round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Rams yes. were at 31 that year because they had they lost the Super Bowl to New England. So they owned their first round pick in 2019, but they traded out of that pick. Was Taylor Rapp? Was that because Taylor Rapp was a second round draft pick too? I mean, anyway, same, the same year. He was that. He he was their yeah. second round pick that year that they owned. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. All right, Rams, let's come back. Sit the other after the break. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesar's Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesar's Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code Omaha Full. And then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.ma.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. It's 1-800-426-2537 or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, 
give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show. M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Okay, we're back. We're in the NFC South. I want to end in the East. I'm fighting that East Coast bias by putting the NFC East at the end. Um, fascinating division again, success wise. By but, far the hardest time. Like yeah. by far of all the divisions, I had the hardest I, time with this. Okay, one. so I'm going to start with the team that I thought was actually not too hard. Um, let's go with Carolina. Uh, I went. Ooh. You thought this? I I went. I had a hard lot. time. Okay, so I went Nikki Kwanu here um, for a couple of reasons. So for me, it's funny because I feel like every every success might. For me, it's it's this is a Bryce Young thing. You know, you want him to play well, you want him to look good, you want to feel like the trade worked, you want to feel good about your new staff, um, and you want to feel good about the left tackle who you drafted very high last year, who had a rough start at the beginning of the season, doing that going up against Miles Garrett will do that to you, and then got better as the year went on. Um, I don't love this Carolina skill group. And for the offense to look functional, I think the offensive line has to be good. And I think they've showed that potential last year. I'm optimistic about them. I don't think a lot of people are. But to me, Aquanu has to build on what we saw last year. If he, Robert, if he looks like a good above, like top half of the league left tackle, I think his offense will look pretty good. And he showed flashes of that. Uh, so I, I think it's very possible. I agree with everything you said. The reason that I didn't pick him or anyone along the offensive line is I'm confident that's going to happen. Like, yeah. I feel good enough about that group crystallizing, him taking a step forward that I'm really optimistic about that position group as a whole. And I think the receivers kind of are what they are. Like, they're going to be an acceptable group over the course of the season, most likely, and nothing more. So the offense... I kind of just penciled it in that I think I know what it is. The defense is where I think that there's a little bit more volatility just because I think that they have guys with some talent that they've invested in that they just need more out of. And mm. that's why I went with Dante Jackson oh. as their second quarter. CB2 is a, is a real, was a question for me. There's a chance that they're just kind of, you know, they're going to play out the string with him, but they renegotiated his contract this year and put a good chunk of, good chunk more cap. Yeah onto their 2024 cap with him and he you know he's shown flashes to be worth a second contract he was hurt for half of last season so he's just a guy that if he can come in and really be like a solid second corner for them they sign von bell you know they've got some pieces along the defensive line i think that there are one or two guys away if they take a step forward they really click into place for that defense where the unit can be pretty darn good yeah. under a Gio Revero. And there were just a couple guys on the defense that I thought, again, had a slightly wider range of outcomes that they made more sense for me here. And Dante Jackson was one of those guys. Yeah. The Fox def- or pardon, the, the Panthers defense right now are very good on paper to me. Um, and I think he would be the player, like that's the weak link, you know, where you're looking at it, you're feeling good about your pass rushers, your interior is good linebacker. You got some fun young players, uh, you mentioned they bring in Von Bell. I think in Najiro's defense, um, 
they, uh, you know, JC Horn's a great number one, but you do need a number two. And I do have questions about, he would be, he's the guy who, you know, it, let me put it this way. If I'm an offense game planning against defense, that's the name I got settled. So um, it's a good answer. And I think, you know, it matters because this isn't one. I don't, I don't view the Panthers like the bears, you know, where I'm like, eh, this is all about the quarterback because it's year one. And also because I think this defense should be better. Like the bears defense. I just don't have high expectations for this group. I think should be good. Yeah. Um, so I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I have the other trouble. one I potentially could oh, have yeah. was Jeremy Chin. I mean, just because I don't know what he's going to do within this defense. He was he spent most of his time at slot corner last year. Yeah, they bring in Von Bell. They still have Xavier Woods. What position does he play? He's obviously hyper talented. Like what they what role they have for him and how they envision using him and his prominence within the defense. All of those are questions to me. So I think that's why he's another one that I had in the back of my mind. I'm really excited to just watch this defense because Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of players who are very mutable and can be used a lot of different ways. And now with a new defensive coordinator and Evero, who's I think is very good and does some interesting things on the back end. I, I don't really know who's going to play what role generally. So right. Like Frankie Louvu, how much do you want him love, off the ball? Versus, I mean, he's a great player, right? Okay. And then if you want him rushing the passer more, like, you trust Shaq Thompson, who's flashed at times. You how do you maybe drop um, chin into the box more? I I, I, I kind of want to just see how it all plays out. I'm very curious. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch them. But um, and also by the way, like as far as the, the young thing goes, if the defense lives up to this potential, that'll give him a ton of support and buttress him for his first season and, and lessen the pressure. I would not be the least bit surprised if they were a playoff team in the NFC. If they were a wild card team, because he's pretty good right away, the offensive line raises the floor. Again, the pass catchers are acceptable, and the defense ends up being a top 10 unit, maybe even a little bit better than that, because Jerry Weber was a really good defensive coordinator. Yeah. Like that version of the Panthers, it's not hard for me to imagine it. You know what would make them a playoff team? Trading for DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if they have the catch. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I, the DeAndre Hopkins thing, and I don't, you won't go too far down this road, but he's he's an interesting personality to drop into your locker room, right? Like we've heard yeah. a lot about practice habits, you know, just the type of guy he is within your building. Yeah. So you're in, you're in year one of a new regime. You're trying to build something. You got a young quarterback that I would feel maybe a little less good about. The Lions, you could go both ways. Are do you feel so good about this hardo culture that you've built? that you feel fine bringing him in because everyone else in the building is working their butts off every single day? Or do you not want to drop him in there because he's a departure from what you've tried to sell to your locker room for the last two years? I think it's fine. It's not like, you know, yeah, he doesn't really practice, but if he's, when you're that that good, it like, you know, it does. I I don't know. Just hearing from guys who have played with him. I don't think it, it doesn't seem to affect locker rooms. It annoys coaches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, you know what would help that locker room having a wide receiver who could separate. Okay. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons. This was really hard. So you're going first. Oh, I went with Kyle Pitts. He had 28 catches last year. If Kyle Pitts is a star, then I feel really good about the mm. Falcons offense. Mm. I kind of feel like they'll be good even if he's not, or not oh, good, I, but I just functional. think that. I think that they'll, though they were functional last year. Yeah. Right? I think they could be a solid offense with Kyle Pitts just being 
another piece of the puzzle. But if he's an elite player, which I still think he has a chance to be, then I think that he really raises the ceiling of who they are on that side of the ball. Obviously, the answer to this question is Desmond Ritter. <laughs> like, yes, that, right, that's yeah, the, this yeah. this team more than any other. Like, the quarterback becomes the most important thing. Yeah, but and... I think Kyle Pitts. If we're trying to backdoor that answer again, he answer. has the biggest role in determining the ceiling of the offense outside of the quarterback. Yeah, I, I'm kind of regretting my answer, but I went with Evan Katie. Um, here's how many sacks. All the players on the Falcons had last year. Katie had three, Bud Dupree had four, Onyemata had five, Clays Campbell had six, Caden Ellis had eight. Maybe that's the right answer, not Katie. It's really you could just choose. Jared had seven, Renzo had five. You just need one of these dudes to be to get after the quarterback, and it's a massive question. Um, and I and I went pass rush because I do think the Falcons want to win the division. Um, and I, unless one of the names I mentioned has more than eight sacks, it's hard for me, even with like, you know, the improvements they made on defense and the free agents they added. If one of those guys doesn't have at least eight sacks, it's hard for me to imagine this defense being like above, you know, right, like inside the top 20, I guess. I don't know. I wonder what role has... I wonder what his role is within this new version of the defense. Because Katie he, or yes, Evicady, because he feels like a holdover from the previous build of what their defense was under Dean Peace. If you look at what they've added along the defensive line this offseason, look at the sheer mass yeah. that they have <laughs> I'm added flexing to the for the podcast audience. Yeah, Campbell, yeah. Onya, they're they're trying right. to build the set. The they're building yeah. the Saints. So, and right? it's the, I should have mentioned, you know. Ryan Nielsen was yeah. the defensive line coach for the Saints. He's now the Falcons defensive coordinator. Even Zach Harrison, who they picked in the third round, and you know where they drafted mm-hmm. him, it's a good swing, right? Like he's former five-star recruit. He's got tons of tools. They can bring him along slowly because he was a third-round pick. But even he feels like the type of player they're trying to add at that position group more than Ebiketti is after Nielsen got there. It's just one of them. So that's my only the, concern. The secondary, I think, is actually, I think that could be pretty good. I really like the, mm-hmm. all the additions. And I think, um, again, with the, the change in scheme, I think that'll help. But it, it, they just, I mean, the numbers are so disgusting last year in terms of getting to the quarterback. It's been an issue for obviously a while. So I guess the it, it sort of is like, okay, well, how good do they, does the defense have to be for this whole team to win the division? And that's a big big question mark and maybe it is more important that it's kind of like do you want an offense that's top 10 or do you want like a defense that's average you know it's, it's sort of what will matter more and it really it's hard to say um okay the bucks this was really really tricky because what is a successful season for the tampa bay buccaneers robert like let's start there i don't even know how did you define that i have no idea I mean, I have no idea. And so many of the guys on their team are known quantities, right? Like, can you pick any of the really good players? Like, I don't... Tristan Wirfs is moving to left tackle. Maybe you could twist yourself into saying that. Well, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, I think I know what they are. Like, maybe Shaq Barrett, because he got hurt last year. But even that feels a little bit cheap. I had no idea which direction to go. Because, I again, I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish. So I went with... I, I guess I was like success for them is competence this year because that seemed i i don't this isn't a bottoming out team but then feeling good about the future so i went with joe tryon shiyinka um 
<laughs> it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense, and I almost went with him as well. Just, I'm just I'm, yeah. an, I'm pessimistic enough. I'm pessimistic enough where I it was hard for me to pick him. He's there's been glimmers of a decent pass rusher. He's got a couple more years as a rookie deal. He was, so he was 2021 pick 32. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to be like the bridge player. I feel like, you know, we've got this, we've got a lot of like superstars who are getting older at the time. I guess Shaq Barrett was in his late twenties, but you know, the bucks have continued to invest in their defensive line, trying to say, okay, we've got like related to this year with Kalaja Kansi. Um, and if he has a breakout season, not only do I believe this defense will still be good, uh, either him or Barrett needs to come back and return to health. He tore his Achilles. When was it last year? Like midseason, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He played eight games last year. Yeah. So if Trey and Shiga say, again, like let's say he has, you know, double digit sacks, it's probably going to be a good defense. And you feel like, okay, we've got a young player to keep building around. But he would have to make that leap. Yeah, if you look at guys who played at least 50% of their team's snaps last year at edge rusher, he ranked it's not good. 33rd in total pressures, right? Well, he was behind George Karloftis, Samson that, Ebukam. That's still in striking range. Yeah, I, I I think that there is, you can make a case for, for why you can still be optimistic about him. I, I struggled. I, I picked Luke Gadecki, so I don't, I don't feel much better about my pick. It was for similar kind of a thinking, similar though, reason, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like, this guy was a second round pick They're They're moving him to right tackle. If he can be a solid piece for them at right tackle and you have another building block moving forward because you have, you know, just finding one more cheap piece that again, kind of bridges this into whatever they're trying to accomplish over the next couple of years. I have no idea. I like, I truly have no idea what success is. So it's hard to answer this question. The Bucks offensive line is fascinating this year a true uh case study in cross training because they're just moving everyone to different positions i don't support it (laughs) i just don't support it taking one of the best right tackles in the nfl moving him to the left taking one of the worst guards in the nfl last year in my estimation moving him to right tackle that's good uh and they drafted uh what's his name gap tooth cody mock (laughs) is he starting I think he is. I think he's probably going to be their starting right guard. Him and Ryan Jensen. A lot of redheads next to each other in one NFL offense. Cody Mosh, before he grew his hair out and uh, went back when he still wore his teeth, uh, looks scarily like Jesse Plemons. (laughs) Go look it up. (laughs) Not a ringing endorsement. I don't know, man. I I, I I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, The Saints. Um, Got it. Now I'm realizing I picked a lot of left tackles because I went with Trevor Penning here. Trevor Penning is a good one. Trevor Penning is a good one. I also struggled with this one. I picked Cam Jordan. No, that's because that was my second choice. I just think that yeah. if we're trying to my argument for the Saints and why the Saints could be a playoff team in a very weird NFC in 2023. If their defense can stay elite, and in the second half of the season last year, they were second in defensive DVOA. Second. They just, they're the anti-Packers to me, where I'm know, like, this I is going to fall off, this is going to fall off, and it just doesn't fall off. So, and that's the fall off. Fall off is a great phrase to use. If their older players can continue to play at a relatively high level, and I think Cam Jordan is maybe the most important 
piece in that because they don't have that many pieces along the defensive line. You know, they pick per se in yeah. the first round, but they don't have the sort of depth that they've had at that position in years past. Davenport isn't there anymore. And their pass rush last year wasn't great anyway. I mean, they've succeeded in spite of the pass rush being much, much worse than it's been in years past. So if Cam Jordan falls off a cliff and their defense starts to decline a little bit, then this, well, if our defense stays elite and we have a top 12 offense, we're a playoff team, the first part of that starts to go away. So that's why I think he's hugely important in what their plan is for this year. It's a great answer. That's one, by the way, too, I think where the loss of Ryan Nielsen, who wasn't just a defensive line coach, he was their assistant defensive coordinator, Mm -hmm. could be a factor, especially in terms of like onboarding some of these younger players. Um, This is a defense that just like, they still have talented players, but they get more out of their, they've gotten more, the coaching staff has gotten more out of the talent than most teams in the NFL year after year after year. Um, Dennis Allen's head coach. So he's got a lot on his play. You know, it it is something to keep an eye on. Um, It's like, how long can you keep taking pieces out of the Jenga tower and the Jenga tower stays up is, is how I would describe the Saints defense. I think Niners are so ridiculous. Yeah. I went with Penning because it's hard for me to imagine a world in which Derek Carr plays well without protection. It's a great um, point. Yeah, just in particular. Um, so uh, Trevor Penning, you guys have forgotten, was, for those who have forgotten, was there 16? No, he was pick 16, right? No. Olave was 16. He was 19, right? I can't remember. No, they no, no, traded, they up, traded for up for Olave. So he was yeah. 16. Yeah. So yeah. he was yeah part of the Eagles trade. Um, and then he... Uh, towards a ligament in his foot at the very beginning of the season. So it was basically a registered year. He did come back at the end of the season, which is promising for this year, the fact that he actually played last year. This isn't like a total wait-and-see situation. Um, I have no idea if he's a good left hand. No idea. Can't say. I, I kind of vaguely remember seeing him a little bit at the end of last season. I thought he played pretty well. I mean, he, I, think, I thought he was solid in the action that he got. The one thing I will say, they do have, you know, James Hurst, who has played a lot, is still on their roster. He's not horrible. It's not like, you know, one of the worst situations in the NFL. But, um, yeah, I just think because of the quarterback in particular um, and, and some of the other pieces, I, this it's really important. And also because, you know, he was a first-round draft pick. You want him to play well. That's the NFC South. Ooh. Okay. NFC East. I felt I'm looking much at, better about these, which is probably they're probably terrible answers. As a result some of my of answers I don't love, so I'm I might I'm curious. To see, so let's start with you, and let's start let's start with the Cowboys. I don't love my answer here. I might change it on the fly. I might just copy you. What do you have? I said Stephon Gilmore. Ah, interesting defense. You look at all the other pieces. Okay, the offense, the offensive line's coming back. I think that's going to be a plus unit. Like, I feel very good about that group of players. Tyron Smith stepping yes. back in at left tackle, Tyron Smith at left guard. You know, offense, you're dropping Brandon Cooks in there. And, you know, that I think allows Michael Gallup to be in the correct or the correct space in the pecking order where he should be on any receiving core. You know, CeeDee Lamb now becomes your one. You have a 1B. The tight ends, you know, we'll see what that group looks like as a whole. I think I, I still feel fine about it. Even Luke Schoonmaker, they drop in there. We always joke that uh, on our show, we say that the Titan, the Cowboys tight end, his name is Dalton Peyton Hendershot the third. <laughs> like it's just it's just one guy. Like it's just an amalgamation of like four guys from the Big Ten, and then now they have Luke Schoonmaker in that too. <laughs> so you just kind of roll the dice with whatever tight end. I think it's going to be fine. And on defense, I think every other spot I feel pretty good about. 
you know, they have a lot of like flexibility on the back end. They go get Maisie Smith in the first round, which I think is the one spot along their defensive line. Yeah. They really needed help. This is the best pass rush in the NFL last year. Position-wise on this team heading into the playoffs last year, the two spots I felt worst about were one more pass-catching option and their number two outside corner. And they added guys at both of those spots. And I think that Stephon Gilmore at this age, if he can hang on to good to above average play at that spot, I think they have a chance to be a really, really good defense. Picking Gilmore here feels like a commentary on how bullish I am about the Cowboys roster. That That's kind of how, roster. Where, where I'm we, seeing we, it. we talked about this last, the defense is, I mean, I love the Gilmore trade back when it happened and the defense is really good and really stacked stacked. No, they're not stacked. Sorry. They're really good, but I don't think they're deep. Um, and so that's why Gilmore actually makes sense because it's not they're not deep, right? Like if if he does get hurt, I think suddenly you're back to that mode where you're kind of just reshuffling all those DBs and maybe you're playing with like you know three safeties like they did at the end of last season. The ideal version of this defense and the ideal version of this defense is a top three unit. We have seen it. It's yeah. it's real. Does have him playing? You know, so that's um, the spot where I think they're thinnest. You know, even at outside at inside corner and safety. I mean, they still have Jordan Lewis on this roster. He got hurt last year. Deron Bland came in and played really well. So if one of those guys gets hurt, you have a nickel corner. At safety, we they have three guys they, that good. they can easily play, and they all yeah. play slightly different roles. They don't have any linebackers, but I don't think they need any. You know, the fact that they're going to play as much nickel and dime as they're going to, drop Jaron Curse down. So I think outside corner is a spot I feel worst about when it comes to their depth. I went with the spot that I think they're actually the thinnest. It might not matter, and it certainly violates my T-shirt, which says "Throw the damn ball." I went with Tony Pollard because holy smokes, the there's no one behind him right now. That is true. And look, I I think the argument against this is like, okay, well they can well. So the, the people behind them, I don't think no. It's Ronald Jones and Deuce Vaughn, who is smaller than me. They drafted this year. Um, he is. Small. I always joke about that. I'm like, Demonte Smith and I are the same size. Drew Stephon is smaller than me. He is smaller than me. Okay, <laughs> he's smaller than me. Fun player, gadget guy. He's not an every down back. Um, and there's some free agents out there. I don't love the name. I mean, including of course Ezekiel, who who probably end up back on this team. But the thing about Pollard, Robert, is so so. You you alluded to the tight ends. I don't. I think this offense the. Um, which used multiple tight ends a lot in the past is probably going to be primarily an 11 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that while I, 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 everything coming out of Cowboys camp suggests that Mike McCarthy isn't going to drag them back into the stone age and just run the damn ball. Um, they still need Tony Pollard to be the version of Tony Pollard that we saw before the injury, a version, a, a running back who, um, has consistently produced above and beyond replacement level over the course of his career. Last year, he was third in the NFL in rushing yards over expectation per carry. He runs well between the tackles. It is a fallacy that he does not. He gives you juice outside. He gives you uh, multiplicity as a pass catcher. Um, He had the second highest rate of runs going for 10 or more yards in the NFL. He is a weapon. If he gets hurt, that is, I think, actually a pretty big problem for this offense because of the depth issue. Yeah, the health thing is the only question to me. That's why I wouldn't list yeah. Tony Pollard, just because I good just think player. Tony Pollard's a really good player. But he is coming off an injury, and I do think it's a concern. I have to imagine they're going to add a running back somewhere down the line. Is there like the, other this... than Zeke? Let me look at the list. 
the skill set they need, it just feels like a skill set that you can find on August 17th. Yeah. You know, I just, that, that's my feeling about it. Yeah. Okay. So who do we got out here? Let's see. Let's do a little, I mean, it's probably going to be Zeke, right? Although like. Kareem Hunt is a free agent. Oh, okay. That's like, interesting. There, there are, there are guys like, I, it seems like they could add one somewhere between now and training camp and feel okay about it. Surprised you haven't heard anything. There, there's weirdly like a lot of free agents that I'm still surprised are still out there. I'll be interested in seeing mm, none of these other names. Feel very good. On the edge, edge rushers. <laughs> oh God, same. I've been more concerned about the edge rusher free agent group because I, you guys actually have like money. Need to do something. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But there's really no one worth spending the money on. Oh, enjoy enjoy spending eight million dollars on Justin Houston or whatever. Uh, it's it's inev- it's inevitable. A Justin Houston like player is, is an inevitable <laughs> ad for the Bears somewhere along the line here. Ted and snaps from Yannick Ngakwe. Okay, um, so I'll go first for the Giants. Um, okay, so I this was an interesting one for success to me because I think um, you know, this is a team that was in the playoffs last year. I think you have to. This is another quarterback one thing. I think you have to feel good about Daniel Jones in this offense to feel feel good about this team. I I I don't know about this. I I went with Waller. Um, Me too. Okay, good. Now I feel better. By far the best player when he's healthy on this offense. Uh, I think very reasonable to question that, given obviously the health issues. This is an offense that could not stretch the field last year. He he brings that potential, and it's not like Jalen Hyatt where I think um, like we've seen that potential realized in the NFL. Um, and I also think like I I loved the trade because I thought he was a really good fit for what Mike Kafka wants to do in terms of um, the RPO game, the play action game, going after linebackers just makes a lot like the the version of this offense that looks better than last year is one where Darren Waller is Darren Waller. If he's not, I actually think you run into a lot of like, there's a lot of guys who play like the same role as, you know, so I, he has to be good for this offense to be better to me. I agree with with everything that you said. I think it, when you look around the league at good passing games, every single one of those teams has a guy you can build the passing game through. And it can be somebody at different positions, right? The Travis Kelsey is that for the Chiefs. And I'm not saying that Darren Waller is Travis Kelsey, but if you go back a couple seasons, in 2019 and 2020, Darren Waller finished top 10 in the NFL in yards per route run. That's at any position, okay? Over those two seasons combined, among players with at least 200 targets, here are the guys who finished ahead of Darren Waller in EPA per target. Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Tyler Lockett, it's for you, Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Travis Kelsey, Calvin Ridley, Devontae Adams. That's it. And I know that's a couple years ago now, and I know he's been hurt a lot, but I think they're, they made a low-risk bet that Darren Waller can still be the type of guy at this point in your career that you can build the passing game through. Because if you look at their options within that offense, he's the only one. They've got some nice complementary pieces. Yeah. I think that's what Jalen Hyatt is. I think that's what Darius Slayton is. I think that's what kind of their low-risk dice rolls on the slot, whether it's Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, whoever, those guys are all complementary pieces. I think he has the best chance to be the focal point of the passing game and the best version of him can, I think, take you to that next step as an offense. So I, I think it's absolutely him. And it just, it just fits so well with what they already do. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's plus 
right? Like I think about all the I, I think about how much I love Daniel Bellinger in this offense last year. He was good. He had people he was, had a very nice role for them last yeah. year. Yeah. And then you think, okay, what if you threw Darren Waller into the mix? And suddenly it's like, oh, like, okay, you know, that um because like, yeah, I mean, how many times did Daniel Jones boot out and have Daniel Bellinger wide open on a crosser? Now imagine you have a second layer to that with with Waller, who can get you significant yards after the catch. Yeah, I I think this was the best thing they could have done for Daniel Jones, honestly. Like, such a gift. So They did a really good job this offseason again. I, I do. I, I love their draft. Talked about their draft. Um, loved a lot of their signings, not just not just Waller. But the Waller trade was one of my favorite moves of the entire offseason. Totally. Low risk, high totally reward. Low. I mean, yeah. it's exactly the type of gamble that you should be making if you're this team and, and you're at this stage of your building process. So I texted you like five times. I don't know what to do for the commanders. It's so uh, it's funny, so well, it's so obviously the quarterback, but yeah, I I did not have a hard time with really? this. Really? Okay, good. No, I had Chase Young. Okay, I had Chase Young too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Chase Young was the defensive rookie of the year. He didn't play last season, and if you drop a if you let's say he doesn't get an ounce better than he was as a rookie, if he's just that guy when he's healthy. If you drop that guy into this defensive line, they had 900 snaps last year that they gave combined to James Smith Williams and F.A. Obata, and they were a top 10 defense. Like, you just put, he doesn't have to be any better. Just this version of Chase Young, a guy that's not worth the fifth year option. I still think that that is a huge addition to the defensive line and to the defense overall. I think the reason I, I was like going back, I did ultimately land on him. I went back and forth because I was like, well, the pass rush will still go good without him. It doesn't really matter. Like, should I pick one of these random cornerbacks? But, um, like, should I go with Forbes, you know? But I think you're right in that it's just turbo. It turbocharges the pass rush, and we've also seen him be that player. Now, it seems like they don't think he's going to be that player anymore, obviously, you know, if he can't have the option. We'll see. I, I get why they didn't completely. It makes sense. And if it's just not that there's not that much downside, it's the option was 17 million. The franchise tag is set is 24 million. So yeah, the fascinating uh, thing though, is if he does play at that level, he's basically Daniel Jones to them, right? Where, um, uh, you know, he's going to like, if he, if Chase Young plays like he did his rookie season, he is going to be in line for a massive payday. Now, the interesting thing about the commanders, I don't have their cap in front of me though, in that world, They'll probably continue to roll with Sam Howell at quarterback. I unless he's awful. There's a there's but they'll have to make a choice. Do we like if do we pay Chase Young and then stick with Howell, you know, or do we move on and try to upgrade at the position? Cause they probably if he again, if if he's if he plays that well, they're probably not gonna be in position to draft him. Like, I don't know. That maybe I'm thinking too far into the future. They're an odd team. If he plays well. And you tag him, you can trade him, uh, and you can't trade him now because I think you'd be selling him for forty cents yeah. on an hour. Like it, it, you'd be trading him at such a low point that it probably isn't worth it. But if he plays well, you can tag him, and it's only seven million dollars more than the fifth year option would have been, and then you can trade him for more than you can at this moment. So I just think that there's not that much downside with playing it out, giving him a little bit more motivation this year, all of those things. Yeah. Tag him, trade him, move up for Caleb Williams, profit. <laughs> that that's an option. I again, I just don't think that you're losing that much and you're risking no, that no, much no. by declining I, I the option. You. Uh, yeah. 
I also so, think that I mean, that's also how like, part of this. Yeah. The, the Ron Rivera might not be the coach slash GM next year. Like yeah. projecting this team more than six days into the future seems like a fool's errand. I also continue like, why are we all assuming Sam Howell is the quarterback of the Washington Commanders and not Jacoby Brissett continues to be a preoccupation? I understand everything they say is that, but like if they actually let them both play in the preseason and compete, there is like a very realistic universe in which it's undeniable that they have to proceed with Brissett. They also paid Brissett like $10 million. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of this team. I'm having a lot of trouble with them. I think they're like, they're better than they should be. <laughs> so the 10 million to Brissett, I think this is one of those situations where you should look at what the quarterback room is being paid where the combined they're making oh. 10 and a half million bucks. So it's yeah. like, even if you end up having to start Sam Howell, you're still only paying but, a quarterback but, 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 How do you dollars. get to the point where you're having to start him? If it's close in the preseason, if it's even slightly close, yeah. I think you owe it to yourself to see what you have in the fifth round pick. Because theoretically, the upside is higher than it is with Jacoby Brissett because okay. we know what Jacoby Brissett yeah. is. What is an example of a team that's done that? Like a team that said, okay, like we've got our rookie quarterback – I mean, this 2012 Two teams are doing it right now. <laughs> so the Seahawks that year were, were a very good example. They brought yeah. Matt Flynn and they just said, this guy's bad. At about, okay. I think, $10 million, actually. Yeah. So they it, he was just bad. Which was worth a lot more in that 2012 money. The Cowboys are, it's a little bit different just because Dak had to play because Tony yeah, Romo got count. hurt. No. But what's funny is we don't have that many examples of it over the last decade. We have two this year. The Falcons are doing it with Desmond Ritter. Yeah. But he the the way Ritter, there's no question. I think I I still think there's a little bit of a question with Washington. Like Ritter, the way they've talked about him. That the other thing is like you know the fact that he played four games last year. Yeah, he's the unquestioned starter. But yeah, you're right. It is it, it's really fascinating, and they're both teams that have good skill players. Washington has a good defense. Um, and just decided to have decided now to sit out the quarterback market multiple. I mean, the Falcons are fascinating because they sat out of the quarterback market. They made that choice three times, and then took the mm -hmm. highest skill player twice. <laughs> just like, um, the only team we've ever, we've seen do this recently that just said, yeah, we'll just roll with a third to fifth round pick. Who really cares? Was the Texans who were actively trying to be bad. Yeah. It's, it, we just That's don't so see it very bad. often. He's, both the, like the Falcons want to win the division and the commanders are not a bad team. They're a good team. That's a good roster. So it's, it's a very unusual, you're right. It's very wild. The fact that two teams are doing that this year is fascinating. Um, the Falcons one seems like a bet on as Arthur Smith betting on himself. Well, that I is, think, yeah. If you, if I get myself a quarterback who will do what I tell him he, to do with this group of skill position players, Shanahan. I, I talked about this last week. He is doing the Shanahan. He's doing not the Shanahan of two years ago. He's doing what Shanahan is doing right now, which is saying, I have this group of bonker skill players who are mismatches, who I can move around, who are my biggest edge. Those skill players coupled with scheme means I can get a bargain at quarterback. I don't need a quarterback who elevates. Arthur Smith is basically doing that. that is, yeah. That's what the organization has chosen to do with their draft picks. The amount... I, I saw this somewhere in our stats uh, Slack, I think. Um, no, our stats guy, Ryan Bissell, sent it to me a while ago. So the Falcons going wide receiver, running back, tight end. 
that hasn't happened in like 20 years in the NFL draft. I don't think like we're spending enough time acknowledging what a distinct and unique strategy that is to roster construction. I, I think you it's worth taking into account what the rest of the roster already looked like. Okay. So they oh, already yeah. have a left tackle in place. They already spent a first round pick on a t- another tackle. So the tackles are already there. So you can't spend first round picks on tackles in this scenario. They didn't want to do it on a quarterback and they wanted to do it on offense. So I think when you take all the factors into account, the running back one, I don't support, but if you're treating Kyle Pitts as a receiver more than you are a tight end, and we're living in this world where having really good pass catching options is important. The Drake London and Kyle Pitts ones, let's do it. I, I'm totally fine with both of those. The Bijan one was where we're going one step further than I probably would. I, I mean, it's, it's a strategy I don't think we'll be able to also assess for quite some time, or at least until we see yeah. who Justin Fields and Bryce Young are in the NFL, because those are the two quarterbacks that, I mean, unless you don't, know, like, Will Levis is awesome too. Sorry. But like, they could have done what the Panthers did to go up and get Bryce. They didn't. They could have drafted Justin Fields. They didn't to Kyle Pitts. I don't know. I, those, you know, those are questions. But like if Justin Fields is awesome this year and becomes, you know, Jalen Hurts <laughs> as a Falcons fan, you don't feel good about the strategy because the strategy is not just the bet on skill players. It's also a bet against the quarterbacks who have been drafted at the very top the last three years. Certainly um, last year it made sense, but the other two years I think are the ones you look at. So Justin know. Fields one specifically, I do not think the Panther or the, I do not think the Falcons are concerned about that. Yeah. But if it happens and you're a Falcons fan, you don't feel good. No. All right. We still have one more team. <laughs> Sorry. This turned into a, a bit of a tangent. Um, the final team. The uh, the best team, probably. Uh, okay, wait. So we just did uh, – we both had Darren Waller, and I went first. So you can go first. Uh, I'll be curious to see if we have the same one here. I have no idea. I, I don't – the offense, I feel good about pretty much everyone. Are we really going to say the right guard? Like, I, I don't – that doesn't, doesn't feel like it's that important to me. I think you can pick either Darius Slay or James Bradbury. Just because I think the pass rush is still going to be very good. And then maybe if you want to say the – whose name I can't remember. The the safety that they drafted in the third round. Sidney Brown. Brown. Yeah, Let's say Sidney Brown is better than Reed Blankenship. But is that really like an X factor? So so, so do you just think linebacker doesn't matter that if it sucks? Yeah, yeah. That was – I wrestled with this because I was like, okay, the biggest question mark on this team is clearly linebacker. It's N'Kobe Dean. Or Nicholas Murrow, whoever starts there. But does it matter? Is that's my thought? Is it the difference between the NFC Championship and a Super Bowl? And that's why I actually ended up going with it because I was thinking about the Niners and I was like, well, because for me, success of this team is getting back to the Super Bowl. And I'm already there. I'm like, okay, you're in the NFC Championship, you're playing San Francisco. This is the game where if Nicole is bad, it might matter. That's a very good one. The reason, the reason I went, let's say James, James Bradbury is my answer because James Bradbury was available yeah. for one year and $10 million last offseason. He signs a big extension this offseason. He is 29 years old. Are you going to get the James Bradbury that the Giants got in 2021 that led him to be cut and available for a moderate price last offseason? Or are you going to get the James Bradbury you got in 2022 that was worth the contract extension you just gave him? The vacillation between those two players, I think, would go a long way in how good their defense is. And who is his backup? 
right now. They tr- tr- they traded up for Keely Ringo. Yeah, Jason Reverie needs to be good. And Greedy Williams is there now. Like they've got some dice rolls at that position, but I think that they need those corners to be good. Yeah. Until we're maintained. My answer to this question is Sean Desai. Again, this is another <laughs> one of those where the no. coaches are the things that are different with these teams. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the definitely the answer with the Philadelphia Eagles would be either of the coordinators. But I, I think, I think linebacker versus corner is an issue. Like I think we we both assume the defensive line is going to be fine. Um, but. It, it really comes down to like either one of the corners dropping off or getting hurt would be a big problem versus unproven linebacker. Cause you know, teams are going to just go all in on attacking. That's what they, a lot of them did last year, the linebacker position. And Dominique and I talked about this endlessly. Most of the time it didn't matter. Yeah. That's it's the reason why the position has been somewhat, I mean, so, but if Nicobe Dean is good, Robert, in this defense, which I think um, is like the ideal defense for him, you feel really good about this this, this unit. So TJ Edwards is pretty good last year. So I think that yeah. their linebacker play, I think that even if we're going from one extreme to the other, I don't know how much of an impact it has. If yeah. James Bradbury is really good again versus James Bradbury being just okay, I do think that has more it's, of an impact on the defense overall. It is funny like how these discussions end up being not just about the team, but about just like positional value, right? I we're know. Talking, Every like, discussion does. It drives me crazy. I'm like, did I really choose Tony Pollard for the Cowboys? Ah! Did did you, I didn't mention a running back for in any of the conversations that we had. When I was listing off every player on the Cowboys offense as as to why I didn't pick anyone on the offense, I didn't even mention Tony Pollard's name. He's really good. He's a really good player, and their backup is my size. <laughs> I love that the Niners picks were Colton the Kivitz for you and Isaiah Oliver for me. Or yeah, yeah, you picked George Kittle. That's I, was, right. you I, I, Kittle, I yeah. thought you were going to do McKivitz. Yeah, yeah. McKivitz is, I mean, probably the right answer. <laughs> so, again, I don't know how much it matters. You know, they've done such a good job of just hiding their offensive linemen year in and year out. And I honestly think that the other 80% of their offensive line is arguably the best it's been since Kyle Shanahan got there. I know surprisingly, right? Cause if we had done this last year, I would have probably picked banks or um, yeah. one of the other interior, but they all played really well. Yeah. Spencer so. Burford, whatever. And that yeah. it's actually, they got some real guards now guys that don't weigh 272 pounds. Like Daniel Brunskill does poor Daniel Brunskill. We crap all over him so much <laughs> on our show. I feel all right. About it. Well, speaking of that show, guys, you should check it out. The Athletic Football Show. It's excellent. Friend of the pod, Nate Tice, is also on a whole lot. I think I'm going to be on next week. You are going to be on next home week. Home. So uh, check me out there uh, and come back next week for AFC X Factors. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining us, Robert. No, my pleasure. It was fun. Wow. Yeah.